And welcome back to episode 61 of The Word Encounter. Uh, we concluded yesterday with chapter 18 of 2 Samuel, and at the end of the chapter, we see that David is lamenting the fact that his son has been killed. And so we pick it up in uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, And it was reported to Joab, the king is weeping. He's mourning over Absalom. The day's victory was turned into mourning for all the troops because on that day the troops heard the king is grieving over his son. And so this should have been a time of tremendous celebration, right? Because they defeated their enemies, the guys who tried to take over the kingdom that ran them out of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, instead of it being a tremendous celebration, it becomes like a time of mourning, you know, because the king is upset, so the soldiers are upset. And in verse 4, it says, But the king covered his face and cried loudly, My son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. And so, you know, David is distraught again. In verse 5, Then Joab went into the house and said to the king, Today you have shamed all your soldiers, those who saved your life as well as your sons, your wives, and your concubines, by loving your enemies and hating those who love you. Today you have made it clear that the commanders and soldiers mean nothing to you. In fact, today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead, it would be fine with you. And so Joab is in David's face. Now, Joab is the subordinate, right? David is the king. And so, but Joab is in his face saying, essentially, how dare you react the way you're reacting when these guys have put their lives on the line for you? And not only you, but for your family, your sons, the other people and whatnot. And this is how you're reacting? Now, I get how David's reacting because it is his flesh and blood, but he was evil. But even if my kids were evil, I can't see, you know, turning against them and not mourning when it uh, was reported to me that they were dead. But still, there are competing interests going on. And so, <clears throat> and, and so again, I, I get Joab. He should have been in David's face. And then in verse 7, it says, this is what Joab says, now get up. Again, he's talking to David. Uh, go out and encourage your soldiers, for I swear by the Lord that if you don't go out, not a man will remain with you tonight. This will be worse for you than all the trouble that has come to you from your youth until now. Wow. And so, you know, Joab is essentially threatening David, get up and do this or else. You know? And so again, I get where he's coming from. So then we see that as we proceed, uh, that uh, since Absalom has been killed, that, you know, now there's confusion in the land, right? So all of his supporters, all the Israelites and whatnot, they're confused as to what they should do next because he had led a coup and they had come to, to support him, but they got defeated in the, on the field of battle. And so now what should we do? So there's confusion going on. And some are saying, look, David led us against the Philistines. He, re, he, he, he um, delivered us from the Philistines and this and another. And others were arguing with him. And so in verse 11, it says, uh, King David sent word to the priests of Zadok and Abiathar, say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to restore the king to his palace? Uh, the talk of all Israel has reached the king in his house. So David is aware of this confusion that's going on. And so um, uh, he says, send to the elders of Judah, because that's where David is from. That's his tribe. And he's saying, why should you be the last? you know, to anoint me or re-anoint me king. You know, what's your problem, basically? And so in, verses, in verse 13, it says, And tell Amasa, uh, aren't you my flesh and blood? May God punish me and, be, and, and uh, do so severely if you don't become commander of my army from now on instead of Joab. And so David's making a political move here. And so uh, Amasa is... Uh, 
is, is from Judah. And so David is saying, aren't you my brother? And if you come, because remember, Amasa was the commander of the army under Absalom. So he was the commander of the enemy. And so David is making a political move and saying, look, I'll make you commander over my army to replace Joab. And so this is essentially to appease everybody else, to show that David is not harboring any uh, hard feelings. He's holding no grudges or anything like that. <clears throat> In verse 14, it says, so he won over all the men of Judah and they unanimously sent word uh, to the king, come back, you and all your servants. Then the king returns. So then he's going back to Jerusalem now to return as king. He made this political move, making a master of the uh, commander of his army, saying, look, <clears throat> everything that has happened is forgotten. Let's just move on. And so it says in verse 16, uh, Shimei um, he was a Benjamite. He hurried down um, with the men of Judah to meet King David. And so when Shimei, we drop down to verse 18, when Shimei crossed the Jordan, he fell face down before the king and said to him, my Lord, don't hold me guilty and don't remember your servant's wrongdoing on the day my Lord, the king left Jerusalem. Remember, it was Shimei that was cursing David when he was going out of the city and kicking rocks and stones on him and cursing him. And uh, Abishai wanted to, to, to take his head off and kill him, but David said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And so now Shimei is coming back and saying, forgive me, Lord, forgive me for my insolence. I didn't mean it. <clears throat> May the king not take it to hurt, for your servant knows that I have sinned. But look, today I'm the first one to enter... Um, First one of the entire house of Joseph to come down to meet my Lord, the king. So he's saying, forgive me. Look, I'm the first one to come back. And, you know, I was stupid. I sinned. Don't hold it against me. And so uh, Abishai, again, he wants to take his head off. He wants to put him to death. But David says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. In verse 23, it says, so the king said to Shimei, you will not die. Then the king gave him his oath. So he vowed to Shimei that he would not put him to death. In verse 24, uh, Mesobotheth, seeing uh, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet, meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet, trimmed his mustache, or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from, Jer from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Mesobotheth, why didn't you come with me? Now remember, <clears throat> Zimi, Mesobotheth's caretaker, uh, told David that Mesobotheth told him that uh, essentially Absalom was going to restore Saul's, his grandfather's, kingdom to Mesobotheth. And so therefore, he wasn't coming to meet David because he was going to get restored, made whole again from Absalom. And in verse 26, uh, my lord the king, he replied, uh, so this is Mesobotheth replying to David, my lord the king, my servant Ziba betrayed me. Actually, your servant said, I'll saddle the donkey for myself so that I may ride it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. Ziba slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you think is best. And so Methabotheth is telling him what happened, but he says, look, I throw myself at your mercy. If you think that I turn my back on you, then do whatever you think you should do to me. In verse 28, my grandfather's entire family deserves death. Uh, from my lord the king, but you set your servant among those who eat at your table. So Mesobotheth is essentially admitting to David, look, my grandfather was evil. He deserved death and whatnot, but I, one of his descendants, am sitting at your table because of your mercy, king. <clears throat> so what further right do I have to keep on making appeals to the king? The king said to him, 
Why keep on speaking about these matters of yours? I hereby declare you and Ziba are to divide the land. And so David essentially doesn't know who's telling the truth, right? Is it Ziba or is it Mesobotham? So he said, well, just split up, just split up the territory between the two of you. But Mesobotham said to the king, instead, may the Lord, the king, uh, may my Lord, the king, oh, since my Lord, the king has come to his palace safely, let Ziba take it all. So Mesobotham is saying, look, I don't want any of it. He can have it all. Since you're safe, he can have it all. And to me, that kind of reveals who's telling the truth. Anyway, so the king goes on and we drop down in chapter 40, and he went to Gilgal. And all the troops of Judah and half of Israel's, and half of Israel's escorted, wait, see, all the troops of Judah and half of Israel's uh, escorted the king. That doesn't make any sense. This is all the troops and half the and half of Israel, they escorted the king. Suddenly, all the men of Israel came to the king. They asked him, Why did our brothers, the men of Judah, take you away secretly and transport the king to his household across the Jordan, along with all of David's men? In other words, they're saying, So all the peoples other than Ju- uh, uh, the people of Judah said to them, Why weren't we a part of this? You know, how come we didn't get to escort you too? In verse 42, all the men of Judah responded to the men of Israel because the king is our relative. In other words, he's from Judah. We're, we're, you know, we're from Judah. So that's why we, we escorted him and you weren't a part of it. And so uh, in verse 43, the men of Israel answered the men of Judah. We have 10 times the share. We have, we have 10 shares in the king. So we have a greater claim to David than you. In other words, you know, we have more claim to him than you do. And they're saying, how come you didn't include us? And so there's this, still this squabble going on between the Israelites and Judah. So, you know, that even though Absalom was defeated, we, we have the vestiges of the squabble that's still happening. And so, um, and so out of this, in chapter 20, a wicked man, a Benjamite, a Benjamite named Sheba, happened to be there. And so he says, we have no portion in David, no adherence in Jesse's son, each man to his tent, Israel. So he's inciting a rebellion. You know, he wants, he's essentially carrying on what Absalom started. In verse, uh, verse 2, so all the men of Israel declared, deserted David and followed Sheba. So we see in their heart, they still weren't with David. They still weren't with Judah. Uh, but the men of Judah from, all, uh, from the Jordan all the way uh, to Jerusalem remained loyal to the king. So they remained loyal to, uh, to David. But the rest of the Israelites went with, with Sheba. And so in verse 4, David said to Amasa, summon the men of Judah to me within three days and be here yourself. Amasa went and summoned Judah, but he took longer than the time allotted. So David sent, um, said to Abishai, Sheba will do more harm to us than Absalom. Take the Lord's soldiers and pursue him. Um, and so and then in verse 7, so Joab's men and all the warriors marched out under Abishai's command. I don't know why this command keeps changing because Joab was a commander and then, you know, Abishai and then Amasa and so whatever. Anyway, so they left, uh, they left Jerusalem in verse eight. They were at uh, the gray stone in Gibeon and Amasa joined them. And so Amasa came and joined him. He was late to the party, but he came and joined him. And so Joab asked Amasa, are you well, my brother? Then with his right hand, Joab grabbed Amasa by the beard and kissed him uh, or, or to kiss him. In verse 10, Amasa was not on guard against the sword in Joab's hand, and Joab stabbed him in the stomach with it and spilled his intestines out on the ground. Joab did not stab him again, and Amasa died. Uh, 
So we see here Joab being treacherous again, right? And so he had already killed Abner. Now he kills Amasa. And so <laughs> Joab is something else. And Joab and his brother uh, Abishai pursued uh, uh, Sheba. So Joab kills Amasa, and then he, his brother, and the armies, they go on to pursue Sheba. So Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to uh, Abel. Joab's troops came to besiege Sheba in Abel. And while the troops were with Joab, were battering the wall to make it collapse, a wise woman called out from the city, listen, listen, please tell Joab, come here and let me speak to him. So they're trying to batter, in the, batter the wall to knock it down to seize the city. But a wise woman in the city said, hey, 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 go get, go get Joab for me. I need to speak to him. And in verse 18, she said, in the past, they used to say, seek counsel in Abel. <clears throat> in other words, seek counsel in my city. And that's how they settled disputes. I am one of the peaceful and faithful in Israel, but you are trying to destroy a city that is like a mother in Israel. Why do you devour the Lord's inheritance? In verse 20, Joab protested, never, I would never devour or demolish. That is not the case. Here's a man named Sheba from the hill country of Ephraim who has rebelled against King David. Deliver this one man or I will, and I will withdraw from the city. So Joab is telling her, look, I'm not here to destroy this city. I just want this one dude. Just give me that one dude. The woman replied to Joab, watch. His head will be thrown over the wall to you. In verse 22, the woman went to all the people with her wise counsel, and they cut off the head of Sheba, and she threw it to Joab. Uh, and so over the wall, they threw his head over the wall. You know, he cut off his head, and just I, I, that, that had to be some interesting counsel, right? No, we got to get rid of this dude, so let's not just hand him over. We're going to cut off his head and throw his head to him, and that's what they did. And so... Uh, and then after that, the rebel, uh, the rebellion, I said, was, was over, I should say, was over. And so that was the end of that revolt. And so we move on to uh, chapter 21, and we see that uh, uh, in verse 1, during David's reign, there was a famine for three consecutive years. So David inquired of the Lord. The Lord answered, it is due to Saul and his bloody family because he killed the Gibeonites. And so if we recall, um, uh, the Gibeonites were the ones who had kind of tricked uh, Joshua into this treaty. And so they were making a, 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 you know, a vow not to destroy us and, and this, that, and the other, and we'll be your servants. But, uh, uh, you know, essentially, and this isn't recorded in the word, but um, so obviously I should say that Saul just disregarded that vow and that treaty, and he was trying to eliminate them and kill them. And so the Lord is saying, because Saul broke the vow, this is why there's this famine in the land. And so in verse 3, uh, David, you know, summons the, uh, the Gibeonites and asks them, what should I do for you? How can I make atonement so that you will uh, bring a blessing on the Lord's inheritance? And so the, Gib the Gibeonites said to him, look, <clears throat> we don't want money. We don't want any of that kind of stuff. But they do say in verse 6, let seven of his male descendants, now they're talking about Saul, because Saul is the one that tried to exterminate them. And so he says, let seven of his male descendants be handed over to us so we may hang them in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> so give us, give us seven of Saul's descendants, seven of Saul's descendants so we can kill them, so we can execute them. Now remember, they didn't do anything. This is Saul's doing. And this is a couple generations, or at least one generation ago, I guess, you know, one or two. And so 
That's what David did. He didn't hand over Methabotheth, but he handed over uh, seven people um, uh, that were descendants of Saul. And it says in verse 9, they hanged him on the hill in the presence of the Lord. And so they hung him. They executed these seven people. And because of this, <laughs> Israel got blessed. So we see that uh, what happened then, uh, they hanged these people. And then David went uh, to the tombs and gathered up the bones of Saul and Jonathan and then the bones of the seven uh, guys that were hung. And he says, um, well, it says, they gathered up the bones of Saul's family who had been hanged and buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan at Zelah in the land of Benjamin. After this, God was receptive to prayer for the land. So we see that even though Joshua had been dead for a while and whatnot, he did make this vow and Saul broke Jonathan's vow because Jonathan's vow was a vow from Israel. Saul broke it. And so therefore there were consequences and David had to atone for what Saul did. And so we see how the Lord kind of keeps track of these kind of things. And so then uh, we go on to chapter 22 and we see that David uh, pins the song of thanksgiving and uh, so you should read through that. And then, um, and then in chapter 23, we have the exploits of David's warriors, which is very interesting reading. Uh, it goes through individuals with regard to some of their conquests on the battlefield and um, in the lineage of his warriors. And then we see in chapter 4 that the Lord's anger burned against Israel again, and he stirred up David uh, against them to say, uh, and he stirred up David to say, go count the people of Israel and Judah. And so what has happened here, okay, is that um, what has happened here is that uh, the, the, uh, David wants to count, wants to have a census of his army. He wants to count how many soldiers there are. And this is sinful. We'll find out why in a second. And so, so Joab said to the king, essentially, why do you want to do this? This is wrong. Why do you want to do it? But the king's word prevailed. And then in verse 3, Joab replied to the king, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times more than they are, while my lord the king looks on. But why does my lord the king want to do this? And so Joab is saying, look, I hope this thing expands ridiculously. But why, oh why, oh why do you want to do this, David? We shouldn't do this. But again, his word prevails. And so verse 8, uh, they had gone through and it took them nine months in 20 days in order to count the troops. And the troops uh, counted 800,000. So there were 800,000 soldiers uh, throughout the land. And then it says in verse 10, David's conscience troubled him after he had taken a census of the troops. He said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, the, now, Lord, because I have been very foolish, please take away your servant's guilt. And so David recognized he sinned. Now, how did he sin? David was looking to gain strength from the numbers of his troops as opposed to relying on the faithfulness of the Lord. The Lord had always taken care of David, always given him victory on the battlefield. But now he was looking at the natural things and how many troops he had. This is kind of akin to our bank accounts, right? And so how much money do I have in there? Do I feel secure or, or not secure, this and the other, instead of relying on the Lord to watch over us? And so this is the sin that that David had made. Essentially, he had, during this period, become unfaithful for some kind of reason. And so, and so the Lord sent Gad to tell him how he can atone for this sin. In verse 13, Gad went to David, told him, uh, you have three choices. Do you want three years of famine to come on your land, uh, to flee from your foes for three months while they pursue you, or to have a plague in your land for three days? 
So it says, which one do you want? Now consider carefully what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. In verse 14, David answered Gad, I have, um, I have great anxiety. Please let us, please let us fall into the Lord's hands because his mercies are great, but don't let me fall into human hands. And so he essentially doesn't want to get chased by his foes because that's falling into human hands. And so in verse 15, so the Lord sent a plague on Israel that morning until the appointed time. And from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000, yeah, 70,000 men died. Then the angel extended his hand towards Jerusalem to destroy it, but the Lord relented uh, concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand now. So we see that, you know, David's action, his sin, cost the lives of 70,000 men. So other people paid for his sin. And that is so much the case in many times today when we sin. When we sin, other people are affected by it. It's not just us. The angel of the Lord uh, was in at the threshing floor of uh, Aruna the Jebusite. In verse 17, when David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, Look, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father in my family, in my father's family. So David recognizes that everybody else is paying for his sin and he's pleading with the Lord. Look, I'm the one who did this. Okay. Come at me, not these innocent people. In verse 18, uh, Gad the seer came to David that day and said to him, go up and set up an altar uh, to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And so where the angel of death was, essentially, Gad is sending David there, saying, set up an altar there. So Aruna sees him coming, and in verse 21, he says, why has the Lord my king come to this to his servant? David replied, to buy the threshing floor, floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so the plague on my people may be halted. And so Aruna's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'll just give it to you. You don't have to buy it or anything like that. Here, you're blessed, king. You can do it. But here's David's answer in verse 24. The king answered Aruna, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so David realized, look, I've got to sacrifice something. I, I, I have to pay for this in some kind of way. I can't just give him something that costs me nothing. Hmm. That's, that's, that's deep. But anyway, in verse 25, uh, after he bought it, he built the altar. He, he bought it for 20, uh, 20 ounces of silver. And then uh, he built an offer to the Lord there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord was receptive uh, to prayer for the land and the plague on Israel ended. And with that, we will end this episode. And tomorrow we will start in 1 Kings. Everybody take care. Bye-bye.